0: If you have your bibles or your bible app turn to 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 14 this morning. I one of my hobbies loves is hiking and not just any kind of hiking. I love distance hiking like covering lots of miles in a day, like starting, like the idea of doing an Appalachian trail hike to me is something that probably won't happen in my lifetime, but is something that I will dream about as long as I live on this earth. And I'm into that kind of thing, and and, and I found this podcast where it was this guy who would call up distance hikers and just interview them and ask them about their hikes, you know, people who had done 6,000 miles in a year. Um, and uh, he, he interviewed this one guy who did uh, something that's called the Triple Crown, which is uh, the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail. And he did all three of them in a calendar year, uh, almost 7,000 miles of hiking. And uh, he asked the question, you know, um, what, what, what were some of the hardest parts of that? And he talked about how there was one point in, uh, in New England when he was on the Appalachian Trail where he said because of the season that he was in, he was kind of slogging through slush and mud for about 100 miles. Think about that. Okay, with that image in mind, we're going to talk about temptation today. 1 Corinthians 10 is dealing with the issue of being tempted, of temptation being something that is in your life right now, is coming into your life, exerts power over you. And the thing about temptation that makes it a difficult subject to breach is that uh, often the experience or the sensation of being tempted is not the hundred-mile sludge through slush and mud in the middle of winter in New England. Temptation doesn't hit us like, Oh, please, please don't make me slog my way through this. Temptation is the 70-degree ridgeline hike where there's really no altitude gain or loss and the sun is shining and the birds are singing and the flowers are blooming and you want that. It's the trail you want to be on. Temptation by its very nature is something that is attractive to us. It's not like hiking through a tar pit. So, Paul is writing about temptation and the struggle with temptation and what's going on in our hearts when we're tempted. And he's pushing a boulder up a hill to even enlist the care of the people that he's writing to, to care about this, to care about what it is and how we handle with temptation. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer includes this line at the end. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the question that I want to put to you as we jump into this is, is this something you want? Is this the prayer of your heart? Lord, deliver me from temptation. Don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Or as part of the problem of that line of prayer that I don't really want to be delivered from temptation or evil. There's something attractive about it that I, that I do want. If we're going to be people who have our eyes open on the subject of temptation, then we have to be people who have our eyes open about really what's going on inside of our own hearts when it comes to interrogating the topic. So I want to read the passage, and I want to put this idea in front of you. I think it's, we have a slide here, Um, but this idea, that first line, temptation, what temptation is, is it is a call to worship. We had a call to worship at the beginning of this service where Chad read from scripture and called us to worship God. Temptation is also a call to worship, not a call to worship God, but it is a call for you to worship, and we're going to unpack what, what it is that I mean by that. So let me read 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 14, and then we'll we'll get into it. Here's what God's Word says. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, Take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is God's word. One Jewish philosopher made this statement about the Bible. He said that the central principle of the Bible is the rejection of idolatry. And I would say that that is a partial truth. Um, It's it's a negative way of saying something that is uh, the rest of the picture, and that's the positive statement, is that the central principle of the Bible is not so much the rejection of idolatry as much as it is the embracing of God the problem of idolatry is introduced then in us, in our hearts, where we, where we sin and we reject God and we want to be in the place of God. Which is why you will hear people say, and I'll say to you, that sin, violating God's law, transgressing God's desire for me, all sin is a form of idolatry. All sin is an expression of the worship of myself. That's what, that's what sin is, it's idolatry. And Paul is talking about idolatry here in this passage when he's talking about temptation because he wants us to understand the relationship between temptation and idolatry. The temptation is a call to worship, and idolatry is the act of worship, the act of worshiping something other than God. So we need to understand what idolatry really, really is at its core, what the function of idolatry is, how it's doing its work. And it's hard, isn't it? Because we're talking about something that on the surface we have to admit we do get something out of yielding to our temptations. Think of your own. Think of the strongest temptation in your life. It gives you something when you yield to it. That's the problem, right, of talking about this. It'd be great, it'd be easy if if the temptation was brussel sprouts and everybody hates brussel sprouts and we're like look the bible's telling you don't eat brussel sprouts it's, it's bad for you and we all left and said oh, great that is good news because i don't want to eat brussel sprouts no you you want to succumb to your temptation because it's powerful in your life because it gives you something and it gives you something that you know it's going to give you and it may not satisfy you in the way that you want it to but still we come back don't we Again and again and again. And Paul is contending for us, brothers and sisters, do not think, do not simplify this to the point where you think that what God really just wants for you is for you to stop looking at stuff online that you shouldn't look at because it bothers him. It's not that. That's a symptom of something much deeper that he wants for you. And what he wants from me. And that is, he wants you to worship him. To find your satisfaction in him. To be delighted in him alone. For him to be the one who is on the throne of your heart and not you continually trying to kick him off of it. And so Paul's talking about temptation and he's connecting it to idolatry. And this is so logical because he's saying temptation is the voice that calls you to worship an idol. Temptation is this voice. How does this happen? How does temptation work? You know, one of the images that we have in our culture is that there's a little angel sitting on one shoulder and a little devil sitting on the other shoulder, right? And this is how temptation works. The little devil is whispering into your ear. And I believe in the devil. I believe things about the devil. One being that he hates you with a white, hot, venomous Hatred of you and I also believe that even more than that he hates Christ and every work of the enemy in our life is unto the end of destroying us and the worship of self C.S. Lewis uh, in his masterpiece the screw tape letters just a brilliant book where he's, he's it's a if you haven't read it what what the premise is is that it's a, a collection of letters <clears throat> Uh, From an elder demon to a younger demon, teaching the younger demon how to deceive the person that he's been assigned to deceive. And it's just an incredibly insightful book about how evil works itself out in our lives. And one of the points that he makes is, is he's telling this younger demon, hey, if you really want to steer him away from worshiping the enemy, Christ... You don't need to show up at the foot of his bed in this flaming robe, in this terrifying vision. All you really need to do is just turn his heart and affection onto anything other than Christ, and you're done. It's all you need to do. So we could say the way temptation works is the little devil sits on my shoulder and whispers into my ear, but the philosopher Iris Murdoch made this observation. She said, That at the crucial moments of decision, most of the business of choosing is already over. That, yeah, the the devil tempts me, but I've also got plenty going on in my own heart that I can tempt myself just fine. That I can tell myself things that aren't true plenty. Temptation is a monstrous little voice that sounds remarkably like my own voice. It's the voice of the false God on the throne of my heart demanding that I do its bidding. Temptation is the inquisitor wanting to know if you can really trust God to provide for your deepest needs. Temptation is a voice calling to worship. So, what do we do? What hope do we have? Paul says, There's hope for you, God is faithful. And he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. (laughs) That's a loaded statement. We're going to unpack that in a second. uh, Because it seems to suggest that God thinks I can handle a lot more than I think I can handle uh, a lot of the time, right? Um, I have a friend who has this uh, expression, this, this name that he's given to something. He calls it the sin of exceptionalism. And the sin of exceptionalism is believing that... God's Word and the way He describes how things work are right for everybody except for me. And I'm kind of an exception. That I struggle with sin a little bit more deeply than you do. That I am... Well, there's two pitfalls, I guess, to the sin of exceptionalism. One is, I'm stronger than you. I know that there are things that you should do to avoid temptation in your life. I know that there are. I don't do them though because I know me and I know I'm going to be okay with that. What does Paul tell us? He says, hey, uh, listen, if you think you can stand on your own, you be careful because you are in the process of falling. If you think you're exceptional, if you think you're made of a certain kind of stuff that nobody else is made of, you watch out. You're not as strong as you think you are. The other side of the sin of exceptionalism coin is this. This is for the ones who make an idol out of humility. (laughs) Is this, Uh, the temptation I'm facing is stronger than what the rest of you have to face. I've made an idol out of humility there and I've said... um, I get a double dose of temptation that you don't face. You have to understand. You don't know the pressures that are on me. You don't know the things that just make my knees... I mean, you, you know, the temptation that I face is stronger than what you face. And Paul says to this, no, you can't go there either. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So he's warning us of this sin of exceptionalism that I'm either stronger stronger and proud of myself or I have this idol of humility where I'm thinking no, I get double attacks from the devil uh, because of my position, because I'm important like that and you, you wouldn't understand. He's saying no, 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 that doesn't, that's not how it works. Your heart is an idol factory, you want to worship anything other than God because really ultimately you want to worship yourself. And, and here's how temptation works in your life. It, it's, it, it's not uncommon, uh, you're not gonna face anything that other people haven't faced. And God will always be faithful to you and he will always provide you a way of escape. So I want to close by asking this question. What are the ways of escape? And here's a way to tell if you are an idolater or not. The ways of escape that he has provided for you, you don't avail yourself of. Because you like the temptation. I'm using the word you a lot. I'm putting this on you. Uh, Please understand, this is all about me. I struggle with this on such deep levels. In fact, I am in the middle of doing something that presents mountains of temptation for me to believe that I am special, to believe that I am God's anointed one to answer all your problems? To believe that I am stronger than you because I'm here and you're there? And that is because I am, an idol- I am an idolater and I worship myself. So, what are the means of escape? Not a rhetorical question? Let me have it. What are the means of escape that the Lord gives us for Temptation? Yeah, Christian friends. Christian friends, community, yeah, who would speak the truth. That is a huge one. That is a huge one. What else? Let's make a short list. Yeah. Avoiding scenarios that you know are going to uh, take you into a bad place. Yeah, okay, so avoiding scenarios that would take us into a bad place. Preemptive wisdom, right? What else does he give us as a way? of Yeah. Yeah, he gives us his word. Yeah, what else? It's a great list so far. Confession and, transparency. Confession and transparency. Yep, yep, just being forthright about it, right? Somebody else? What's that? Prayer. You see, are any of these surprising? Uh, community, wisdom, prayer... The word. I mean, these are the things that he tells us. These are things I've given you, right? Ephesians 6, I think it is, where he talks about putting on the armor of God for, for defense, for protecting our hearts, for, for protecting against the attacks of the enemy. These are things he gives us. Gospel-centered community, the first one that, that, uh, that we talked about today, this, that he gives us other people. I want to challenge you with something. If God has provided us with ways of escape that are beyond just supernaturally picking us up by the scruff of our neck and dropping us down in a safer place than we were before. If he gives you ways of escape that come in the form of his word, that come in the form of other people who would speak into your life, how do you avail yourself of those means of escape? Specifically, Are there people in your life? Let's just talk about community as a church because that's what we are. That's who Paul's writing to. He's writing not just to one man but to a congregation of people. Let me ask you this question. Is there anybody in your life who knows what to ask you to really get to the heart of where you're tempted? I mean, there are people in your life, right, who know generally things to ask you. But I'm talking about going a few levels deeper and saying in this area of temptation in my life, let me tell you graphically, how it plays itself out. Let me tell you where the moments of justification happen for me, where I justify a behavior that leads to another behavior that leads to falling. Are there people in your life that can do that? Are there people in your life who do do that? If Paul is telling us, God is faithful to you, And the way that he's faithful to deliver your idolatrous heart from temptation is to give you a means of escape. And one of the means of escape that he gives you is a community of faith, people who can walk through your Christian life with you. Would we not avail ourselves of that? Would we not say, Lord, give me the courage Give me the confidence in you to trust that it is for my good, that my brother would know the intricacy of my temptation and my sin and my falling. Lord, would you deliver me from evil through surrounding me with a body of believers who would know what to ask me and when, who would anticipate, who would have the right questions, things that I couldn't slither out of, It's important. Paul is calling us to consider the ways that we're tempted. To consider the relationship between temptation and idolatry. To be honest enough to say, my heart is an idol factory. I want to ultimately not worship achievement or relationships. I really just want to worship myself. I want to be in a situation where I am providing for my own glory and for my own justification and for my own righteousness which is a role that belongs to God alone. Temptation is calling you. It's calling you every waking moment of your life, and it is calling you, make no mistake, it is calling you to worship. What do you look for? What do you look to for life? And do you avail yourself of the things that God has given the ways of escape? Pray with me. Lord, it is easy for us to read your word and to think that a lot of times the statements like you always provide a way of escape is, is sort of a supernatural reference to you just swooping in on a, on a white horse and pulling us out of a idolatrous scenario. But often, Lord, you are a God of means uses very ordinary means in very extraordinary ways. You use people, you use your word, you use prayer to call us to you. Lord, would you remind us and burn into our hearts this, this beautiful truth that the central principle of the Bible is not merely a rejection of idolatry, but is a call to embrace you And is the story of the possibility of embracing you, how that can even happen. Thank you for giving us such a wonderful, mighty, perfect Savior who has delivered us from our sins when our faith is in him, that that is done. But Lord, would you continue to work in our hearts to give us the courage to see what drives us to the same tar pits and bogs that we return to over and over again, thinking that life will be found there, thinking that something satisfying will be found there. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us and ask that you would uh, really challenge our hearts this week uh, to interrogate uh, who we are and what drives us. And Lord, at the end, we pray, Lord, that the result would be uh, that our longing, the deepest longing of our heart would be to be satisfied in you alone and to worship you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.